Um, as we pray together on a Sunday morning, there will be times when I speak, and there will be times when there's space for you to pray. And I just encourage you to know that this is a time when I think the Holy Spirit is active among us, and if there are pictures or people that come to mind as you are praying, follow up on that. Send a note to somebody who comes to mind. Bake some cookies for somebody who comes to mind. We are the body of Christ together. So we're going to pray and begin with Psalm 19. Dear God, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display your craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make God known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard. But their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun it bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete ready to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end, and nothing can hide from its heat. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The commandments of the Lord are clear, and they give insight for living. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the cone. And they are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. And then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, our God, our rock and redeemer. Let's say together, Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, today we thank you for places of beauty in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our country, and in our world. We thank you, Lord, for friendships where we lose all sense of time in play, or in laughter, or in conversation. We thank you, Lord, for parks and playgrounds and ball games, for sunrises and sunsets, for a full moon hanging in the sky, for our skies that remind us of how small we are and how powerful you are. So, Lord, we take time to thank you for places of beauty in our lives. together. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we bring to you our places of pain in our lives and in our neighborhoods, in our country, in our world. We bring to you the jobs that are toxic or hard to bear or insecure, relationships that cause anxiety and turmoil, families who are struggling to find food, or to find safety, vulnerable people who cannot live in peace, we bring to you the places of pain. And together, Lord, hear our prayers. 
Lord, you know, too, the places where we are bored or frustrated or unsure of what to do in our lives and in our neighborhoods, in our country and in our world. Would you straighten the path before us? Help us to know which way to go, which decisions to make, which risks to take, where to just hang on because things are about to change, and where to wrestle mightily for your work to be done. Lord, we bring to you these questions in our lives. And together, Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, it is you that we come to. Where else would we go? We come to you in our endings and in our beginnings, in our happiness and our sadness, in our wrestling and in our celebrations. We are your children. We are your people. So we acknowledge you as Lord, and we submit our lives to you. We turn our faces toward you. And together, Lord, hear our prayers. Amen. Well, here we are. Shall we do this one more time? What do you say? Yeah? Yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's just do this. So this whole summer, we've been talking about wonder. We've been talking about miracles and being a little bit more open to the new things, the next things that God is inviting us into. And this whole summer, we've been tracking with those ideas through the stories of Elijah and Elisha. In today's episode, we're going to see a bit of a change, a passing of the torch. Now, before we go any further, big, huge time out here, you all need to know that I did not outline this teaching series. Actually, I did, and it was amazing. And then when I was away, somebody else took it over and changed it. So uh, the portion of text that I am teaching from this morning is not one that I chose, just so you know. It's the one about where, like, this, like, flaming fiery chariot comes down and Elijah gets whisked away and then like the next guy takes over. Um, so again, I did not pick this uh, text and I would have complained if I had caught it sooner. I would, have, I would have complained. Nevertheless, nevertheless, if a fiery chariot does somehow rip through the stage this morning, that would be amazing. That would be a great parting gift. Thank you. It would be against fire code, but if it does happen, I would be totally okay with that. But if it does not happen, <laughs> this is where the scriptures are going to take us today. We're going to talk a little bit about why taking the long way is sometimes the most fruitful route. And then we're going to spend a bit of time talking about why you should do your best to make more mistakes. Mm -hmm. I'm serious. And finally, at the end, I'm going to pull all those things together, offer some final words of encouragement as our church heads into something new. Sound good? All right, ready to go? All right, let's do this. From Kings chapter 2, uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, says this. Just before God took Elijah to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on a walk out of Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. God has sent me on an errand to Bethel. And Elisha said, not on your life. I am not letting you out of my sight. So they both went to Bethel. The guild of prophets at Bethel met Elisha and said, hey, did you know that God is going to take your master away from you today? Yes, he said, I know it, but keep it quiet. And then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. Ah, God has sent me on an errand to Jericho. 
And Elisha said, not on your life. I'm not letting you get out of my sight. So they both went to Jericho. And the guild of prophets at Jericho came to Elisha and said, hey, did you know that God is going to take your master away from you today? Yes, he said, I know, but keep it quiet. And then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. God has sent me on an errand to the Jordan. Elisha said, not on your life. I'm not letting you out of my sight. And so the two of them went their way together. Meanwhile, 50 men from the guild of prophets gathered some distance away while the two of them stood at the Jordan. And Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, hit the water with it. The river divided and the two men walked through on dry land. And when they reached the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Ask anything. And Elisha said, your life repeated in my life. I want to be a holy man just like you. And so, Elijah goes where he is sent. But he goes for reasons that you and I are unaware of, and there's maybe a chance that Elijah himself was in the dark. But before we unpack any of that, there's a few things to notice here. Remember, we are in the book of 2 Kings, 1 Kings. 2 Kings is actually one big volume, but they split it up because it was so big. And when you read the book of Kings, it reads like a history textbook. And why does it read like a history textbook? Because that's what it is, a history textbook. It's a record of who was in charge, what they did while they were in charge, and what happened while they were in charge. But like we noticed a few weeks ago early on in this series, every once in a while in the book of Kings, there's a bit of a blip. There's a bit of a story that doesn't quite fit, right? Because we've got one story after the other about who's in charge, who these kings are. And like a few weeks ago, all of a sudden we get this little story about a widow who has nothing, who's hungry, and Elijah shows up. And then this morning's text is another one of those blips. It's not about the kings. This is now about something else. This is about a transfer of power between two prophets. So maybe you and I can think of it in terms of news headlines, right? Every day, you and I are bombarded with these big, huge, worldwide stories that affect everyone. Now imagine if a little tiny story just leaked in there, one that didn't fit the rest of the news cycle. This is what we're dealing with right here. So we get into this new story, this little blip, and how does it start? It starts with some aimless wandering. And it would appear that Elijah's purpose did not follow the most direct route. So to help unpack that, I'm going to plot Elijah's little journey here on a stylized map that I've put together. You're going to be really impressed. Here we go. This right here, friends, that's the Jordan River. That's pretty good, right? You get it? Makes sense? You're feeling that? Yeah, I splashed around. Here's the Jordan. And this, point number one, roughly is where Elijah and Elisha start. This is Gilgal. From there, they go northwest to Bethel. From there, they go southeast to Jericho. And then finally, they pass Gilgal on the way to cross the Jordan. And they do this little play from the Moses handbook, right? Like striking the water, the waters part, and they walk through on dry land. Now, I am not a cartologist, but even I can plainly see that the route they took just seems like this pointless roundabout. It sort of seems like they're wandering, like they don't know where they're going. And in the words of Google Maps, they are not on the fastest route towards their destination. And besides, their destination was really close to where they actually started from. So the question this should bring up for you and I is this. Why? Why take the long way? If Elijah knows that he's going to be whisked away, 
why do you think he's walking to these other places? Do you think he's going to those places because he thinks maybe this is where it's going to happen? And I'm serious. Maybe he had some very sincere questions or conversations with the Lord. Lord, is this it? Is this the spot? Is this where I'm supposed to be? Is this where it all happens? Or maybe it's not that at all. Maybe if we read between the lines, this is more about Elijah trying to shake Elisha off. Right? Every one of those things. Yeah, yeah, God sent me here. You, you should probably stay. To me, that feels like, you know when like an older sibling talks down to a younger sibling and says, stop following me around. You know that, right? Maybe that's happening here. Who knows? Or maybe Elijah feels like he's on a farewell tour. Maybe he's tying up loose ends. Maybe he's checking things off of his bucket list. We don't know. But because we don't know, that gives us pause and perhaps something to think about. So maybe think about it like this. My daughter, Ella, she's 16 years old. You know where she is right now? She's in the big smoke, the T-dot, the 416. My sister invited my daughter to spend the month of July in Toronto with them to hang out, to see the city, but primarily to take care of my seven-year-old nephew. So and you got to remember, they're in Toronto, so this poor kid at seven years old, because of the lockdown, ooh, he's been in lockdown for like 400 million days in a row right now, right? So he is just buzzing with energy and so excited that his big older cousin is going to be his babysitter this summer. So when we made these arrangements, my sister and I, a little while later, it was April, she says, well, Holden, my nephew is getting pretty excited about his time with Ella. So we started to populate a calendar with the things that they were going to do. So every day he would write something down, something that he was excited to do with Ella in the month of July. And remember, this is way back in April when she sent me this picture. Now, a few days before Ella's arrival, my sister sent me another picture of the updated calendar. <laughs> Allow me to read some of this to you, starting on the 4th. Ella Games. Uh, book or look at Walt Where's Waldo with Ella. Gem Day with Ella. Craft with Ella. Video games with Ella. Walk with Ella. Mazes with Ella. Ooh, day off on the 11th. Play with Jumpy Man with Ella. Craft with Ella. Play with Ella. Craft with Ella. Clay with Ella? Okay, we'll do that. Movie with Ella. Do beads, B-E-E-D-S with Ella. Go to the park with Ella. Games with Ella. Beach with Ella. Afternoon with Ella. TV with Ella. Park with Ella. Oh my goodness. What a stocked, stocked month. What kind of fun they have, right? So my little nephew is just beside himself, so excited that he's made all these grand plans but now my sister, she's texting me this week. She said, oh, he's worried. I was like, what's he worried about? He's worried, he said, because he recognizes the month is coming to an end. And they're not going to get to do all the things that he had planned for them to do. Meanwhile, I'm having text conversations with my daughter this whole month. And every once in a while, she sends me one of these, like, send help type pictures right here. And this really captures their relationship. The frenetic seven-year-old and the 16-year-old was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done? So she reaches out to me. She sends a picture like this, looking for some comfort, some help, maybe some advice from dad. And all I have to give back to her are things like this. That's all I send back to her. And maybe I'm the worst dad ever, but you know what? I don't care because it's not my problem. It's not my problem, Ella. But anyways, back to the calendar. Your calendar, my calendar, resembles this calendar here, right? Maybe our plans aren't as detailed. Maybe you don't have a day filled with beads and gems planned for yourselves. 
But you do have this running list, right? At least in your minds of all the things you want to accomplish and when you're going to accomplish them by. And you're going to do your best to build one day and one task and one project on top of the next so that you can reach your goals in the smartest, shortest, and most efficient means possible, which is great. And, you know, we take that approach to life, and for the most part, it works. But when we consider God's agenda, for lack of a better word, what God is up to, what God is doing, I don't know what your life has been like, but I feel like God has never followed one of my calendars ever. Or when life interrupts your plans, and you end up experiencing things that you never could have planned or never would have planned, it sort of messes up that perfect little calendar that you put together. Because here's the thing. We plan for progress, which is fine. But I'm not quite sure if God cares about our progress. We plan our lives to be as efficient and tight and neat as possible. But I'm not sure if there's anything efficient about the spiritual life. Nevertheless, you and me, we plan, we strategize, we map things out, we pack our schedules so tightly, and then sometimes life sends us on this unplanned, slow, and unproductive, and inefficient, and aimless path. But I wonder, I wonder if that's exactly where the good stuff is to be found. You see, my nephew planned for 30 amazing days of fun with his older cousin. But I gather that they had so much unplanned fun, so many unplanned things happen, that they won't be able to get to all the things that they actually had planned, which is okay. And in fact, might actually be better. So in the same way, Elijah and Elisha wander, seemingly with no other plan other than to be open. Open to the unplanned, open to the uncontrollable, open to wonder. And eventually, that does happen. They cross the Jordan, and again, like we pointed out a few weeks ago, they leave the controlled area, right? The tamed area, the area where the king is in charge, and they cross over into this untamed land where they are again out of reach of the crown of the powers that be. And there's something very symbolic about that travel, but there's also something very real and very tangible about it. For Elijah, as the story goes, a chariot of fire comes between him and his protege, Elisha. But not before Elisha is tasked and empowered to do Elijah's work, to carry it on. And so now, it's time for Elisha to shine. The rookie prophet, right here, his career begins with some great hits and also some terrible misses. One day... The men of the city said to Elisha, you can see for yourself, master, how well our city is located, but the water is polluted and nothing grows. And he said, bring me a brand new bowl and put some salt in it. And they brought it to him. And he then went to the spring, sprinkled the salt into it, and proclaimed God's word. I've healed this water. It will no longer kill you or poison your land. And sure enough, the water was healed and remained so until this day, just as Elisha said, Another time, Elisha was on his way to Bethel. 
and some little kids came from the, out from the town and taunted him. What's up, old bald head? Out of our way, skinhead. <laughs> now, I'm not going to read the rest of this story out loud because this is a mixed listening audience, and the ending of this story is particularly gruesome, and it might be triggering for some. So I'm going to refer back to what happens in this last little episode here, but if you want the details, you'll have to read it on your own. But for now, what does this all mean? Like, what is going on here? Setting the stage again, and including some of the parts that we didn't read Elisha crosses back over the Jordan, back into control territory, back into ordinary space. What does he do? How does he get across? Same old Moses trick, same old Elijah trick, smashes the water, the waters part, and he walks across on dry land. So what we begin to see now is this Elisha character, oh, he's starting to exercise his authority. He's starting to flex the muscles of his brand new responsibility. And what does he do with this newfound power? He does something good. By cleaning up the water source, he brings life. It's another unplanned miracle. It wasn't on the calendar. There's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no way to explain it or replicate it. But it doesn't matter. We don't know how, you know how it works. We just know that it worked. The first official public miracle is in the books, and it's a win. Not bad, rookie. You scored your first goal. Now what are you going to do next? You've just been gifted with this brand new phenomenal power, this authority for good to bring life. So what's your big follow-up going to be? Let's just say that it was not good, that it did not bring life. And the story goes that some kids made fun of his follically challenged cranium, and he did not take kindly to any of those jokes. But before we get into it, can I just share one quote with you that has nothing to do with this sermon whatsoever, but is worth mentioning? Let me throw it out to you here. <clears throat> Anyone can be confident with a full head of hair, but a confident bald man, there's your diamond in the rough. Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? Yeah, some of you will be with me in the near future. Come talk to me then, all right? So moving on, <laughs> moving on. Elisha's first act as a bald-headed rookie prophet is to bring life. But his second act brings death? Come on, man. The punishment is utterly disproportionate to the crime. It's scandalous. It feels gross. And it feels so, so, so wrong. Why does it feel so wrong? Because it is. So once again, we get this weird little subplot that just doesn't seem to fit in the overarching story of God's love or God's desire to bring life to the fullest for everyone. So when we hit a difficult passage like this, like we've done in the past, we pull in some historical context, right? And maybe some differing views to help us understand it, or at least understand how Christians have understood this story for the last 2,000 years and beyond. So let's back it up actually a little bit further for some historical context. Early rabbis were outraged by this story, so outraged that some even asserted that it didn't even happen. You know that English idiom, a cock and bull story? You know, you know what that means? When someone tells a tall tale, something is a bit far-fetched. Yeah, it's a cock and bull story. Ah, I'm not sure if that actually happened. 
Well, there's actually a Hebrew expression just like that, actually based on this very story. But their expression goes like this, neither bears nor forest. And if you know the story, then that makes sense. If you don't know the story, well, maybe now you begin to put some of those pieces together. But nevertheless, that is but one take, one take on this weird passage. But if it did happen as described, I think we can safely say that by reading this, by understanding God's big picture, is that Elijah, Elisha, made a mistake. And the results of his mistake were unacceptable. But we could also argue at the same time that making a mistake is actually a good thing. And here's why. Somebody once told each and every one of us at some point to fear mistakes and to avoid them at all costs. When really, if we stop and think about it, some of the best things that have ever happened to our species have come out of mistakes. Let me give you some quick scientific examples. All right, here's the first one. Anesthesia, discovered 1844, mistake leading to discovery, recreational drug use. That's right. Did you know in the late 1800s, laughing gas was a great party favor? People would come over, take some in, get some giggles in, and have a great night. So one night, there's some guy who's high on laughing gas, but he cuts his leg. It's a huge gash. He's bleeding profusely. At one point, he's standing in a puddle of his own blood, and he doesn't even know has no idea, until somebody from across the room goes, hey man, you're bleeding. What? I didn't feel a thing. <gasps> and then two and two come together. So the next time you're in the dentist chair, thank the man who was ble bleeding profusely from his leg in the late 1800s, uh, high on laughing gas. Weird. That's a mistake, that shouldn't have happened, that's not the way it's supposed to work, that's not neat and tidy. That's, that seems like a weird, unplanned, unpredictable thing. Let's add another one. Penicillin, 1928, mistake leading to discovery, living like a pig. Here's how the story goes. The dude who discovers penicillin was a slob. And he would leave his dirty dishes, cups, plates, all over the place, over his desk, all over his house. And the story goes something like this. There's a chemical reaction that happens. And somehow, some of the baseline scientists, you'll know this better than me, things that are involved with penicillin are on the same plate with, like, rotting fruit, and it's mold and gross, and there's bacteria, and all of a sudden one thing touches the other, the penicillin eats the bacteria, and the dirty, disgusting discovery guy says, hmm, that's weird. I wonder what else it could eat. Again, unplanned. He wasn't sure about that. He didn't set out to leave all his dirty dishes out on purpose to discover something. No, they were just out, and something happened. One more. Nylon, 1934, mistake leading to discovery, workplace procrastination. Oh, man, if someone could harness that, they'd be a billionaire, right? Here's how the story goes. This chemical company is working with a compound for one particular task, but it's not working. So one day, one of the young scientists is just sitting at his desk like this. There's a glob of this liquid on one of those glass trays, and he's just sticking his pencil into it. And he sticks his pencil in, and he pulls it out, and he recognizes, well, that's weird. It's, I put my pencil into a liquid, but as I stretch it and pull it out, something is happening, and it's turning into a solid. And by the end of the day, the story goes, 
that him and his buddies had all stuck their pencils into this liquid and they were like dragging it down the hall seeing how far they could stretch this compound. Crazy, right? And here we are, nearly 100 years later, and nylon has actually been a pretty big part of our lives. Discovered by accident, a complete mistake. Now, this is a quick sampling of how we can see past mistakes and how they can feed future advancements. But now let's take it one step further, and then I'm going to tie it all together with the passage that we're in today. So think about this. What if all the past mistakes that we have made are better understood, not as useless failures, but as things we learned while taking the long way? Let's bring this more up to date. Think about the AIDS crisis of the late 1980s and early 1990s and all the seemingly useless scientific discoveries that were happening up until that point, until society had right off the shelf a huge amount of knowledge from investments made in a curiosity that at the time had no use. It may very well be that if you were to take all the research funding in the country and put it in Alzheimer's disease, you would never get to the solution. But the answer to Alzheimer's disease may come from a misfolding protein in a cucumber. And who are you going to send that idea to? If someone gets interested in folding protein in a cucumber and it's a good scientific question, leave them alone. Let them torture the cucumber. Yeah. So what he's saying is this. Sometimes our mistakes feel like failures, but they're not. The scientific failures that led up to managing HIV had no use at the time. But later, they became key findings. And I wonder, I wonder if the same is true for Elisha. He messed up. He misused his power and authority. What he did wasn't right. But later, afterwards in his prophetic career, he ends up doing the exact opposite of what happened that day. By the power and authority of God's spirit invested in him, he was instrumental in bringing children who had died back to life. So could it be that that future miracle was influenced by his past mistake? How could it not be? Do we not believe that God is in the business or that God is able to redeem all things? Have we not committed ourselves to God's renewal? And not just God's renewal for something out there or somebody out there, but God's renewal for me, for my heart, for my life. And so, let's see if we can pull all of these pieces together here. Pull together what we've just talked about in terms of what's next for you, what's next for me, what's next for Lakeview, and I would love to frame it in terms of an encouragement. So first, my friends, like Elijah, will you continue to take the long way? Just take the long way.
The long way is the best. I know it's filled with uncertainty. I know it feels like you're wandering aimlessly. I know that you'll continue to be like me and my nephew trying to plan every little piece out because there's things that you want to do. But in my experience, God's best is usually outside of my plans and thankfully outside of my control. But if you're here this morning and you are a planner and you must plan, then I would offer you this specific encouragement. Plan to be open to whatever interruption comes next. And think about it in terms of, what can God do with this? How can God redeem this? How can God make things, me, the world, right through this? And I think that's what we've tried to do here for the last eight years at least, to be open to whatever is next. And people have actually been asking me the last few weeks, well, what are some of your highlights? What are some of your best memories? What's like the biggest or best thing about Lakeview the last eight years? And to be honest with you, that's a really, really hard one to pull down, right? Because we've had some great moments, right? We've had some fantastic moments in this room, right? The Christmases, the Easter's, the Good Fridays, the baptisms, so fantastic, but you know better than that. That's about 5 or 10% of what pastors do, like in this room. The other 90% is out there with people. And to me, that's even better than the moments in this room. The endless coffees and visits and dinners and backyard hangouts, the weddings, the funerals, the hospitals, you name it, all those special, important, intimate moments those were so rich, so rich, so rich. But if you had to force me in this moment to pin down the one thing, the one thing that I could maybe say was the best thing, at least from my perspective over these last eight years at Lakeview, would be your willingness to be open to so many hard questions and conversations unplanned things, things that you would not have put into your calendar unless somebody put it there for you. Think about all the times we've had guests sitting right here in this spot on stools, sharing something from their experience, sharing something that pushes our buttons a little bit, stretches us a little bit further, causes us to ask the question, God, what, what are you doing? What are you doing there? And friends, you need to know to have a church that is open to that tension to be okay with doubt and not having all the answers is actually a rarity. The fact that you have enough strength, wisdom, and perhaps faith to be open to unpredictability is a beautiful thing, and not everyone gets to experience that. So to you, I would say, take the long way. Take the long way, please. Yeah, it may have been much easier for me to stand up here 350 times, I think. It was something like that that I've done the last eight years and yell at you and tell you what to think, tell you what you should believe. I guess we could have done it that way. That would have been efficient, quick, got us moving. But nah, that sounds dumb. Instead, we could just take the long way. And in taking the long way, it forces us to stop. It forces us to listen to think, to agree to disagree, but then move on together. Because think about it. If we can't have life's hardest conversations with the church, then where else are you going to have those conversations? So Lakeview, moving forward, 
remember to take the long way. Secondly, I'd say this. Make some mistakes, please. Please, please, please. Will you make some mistakes in the next 12 to 18 months especially? Because when someone is making mistakes, that's a signal to me that they're trying and that they've got skin in the game. And having skin in the game is a sacred, sacred part of our faith. So please, please keep making mistakes. Keep making room for people who make lots and lots of mistakes. Keep putting yourself out there, Lakeview. Keep being in the hard places. Keep being in the hard conversations. Keep trying things that might not work. Keep spending money on things that might not have any return. Keep giving rookies a chance. Keep changing. Keep trying things. Keep risking. Keep yourselves wrapped up in God's wonder. Because as you are, you can then imagine... What can God do with this mistake? What could he do with it? Imagine. Imagine. One last word, and I'll say a couple of thank yous, and then I'm going to invite uh, Allison up. And this one is for uh, the kids who are in the room this morning. Hey, kids, I'm really glad you're here today. Sorry that you had to sit through another sermon. Ugh, sorry, guys. I get it. I get it. I get it. But I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that someone who loves you brought you here today. And I want to say one thing to you as kids. If you forget everything that I've said this morning, or if you have to put some notes down in those sheets you got, this might be that note right here. As you grow up and you have lots of questions about who God is and what God is doing, you need to know who this God is. Whenever you're worried about who God is, if you're wondering if God loves you or doesn't love you, wondering if God is in something or not into something, or maybe someone tells you something about God you're not sure if it's true, Remember this, whenever you're in doubt about who God might be, imagine in your mind, imagine in your heart that God is your friend. God is your friend. So when you have doubts, when you're afraid, when you're not sure if God's actually listening or paying attention or even there, think to yourself, huh, what would a friend do in this moment? And God, who is your best friend, is there for you. So if anyone ever tells you that God doesn't like you or God is angry at you or God, ah, you can't know God, it's not true. God is your friend. And whenever you're in doubt, whenever you're worried about who God might be or what God is doing, remember that. Remember that. God, God is your friend. Always your friend. Your best, best, best friend. Uh, last but not least, I want to just say just a couple of thank yous, and then, and then we'll, we'll wrap things up here. Um, I want to say thank you to the church board, all the incarnations of the church board this last eight years. Faithful, faithful, faithful people who have served this church so faithfully. You need to know that this board has always empowered me, has always protected me, has always supported me, and given me everything I could have asked for and more to help lead this church. So thank you to those leaders who gave of themselves in that way. Uh, I want to say thanks to the staff team, in particular, Kurt and Allison, as they take charge going forward here. Team, I want you to know that I am so proud of you. So proud of you. I have so much confidence in you, and I trust you. I know you're going to do fantastic things, and to be honest, I'm a little bit jealous that you get to do this next chapter. So thank you for your amazing work, your dedication, 
and for making me look way better, way better than I am. So thanks. Thanks, staff team. To my family, Sarah, Ella, Ethan, thank you. Thank you for entertaining that conversation like nine years ago. So do you guys know where Saskatoon is? Let's pull up a map. How do you feel about the prairies? How do you feel about moving away from everybody that you love and know and to a place where it's winter most of the time? How do you feel about that, guys? So I want to say thanks to my family for coming along, for coming along with what I felt I needed to do, for supporting me so well, for being so amazing. It's the best family I've ever could have asked for, and I don't deserve them one bit, but I'm thankful for them. And last but not least, thank you to you. Thanks to you, Lakeview. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for coming along for the ride here. I know we've had ups and downs, but I'm glad you gave me a chance to do this. Someone said to me the other week, they said, hey, remember that thing you did? That was so great. Thanks for doing that. And I said, hey, yeah, that was great. But you know what was even greater? Is that Lakeview gave me a sandbox big enough like, to do that kind of stuff. And I'm saying this with all sincerity is that if Lakeview didn't create a space without a Lakeview, there's not a Joe Manifo. You know the things I got away with the last eight years? Do you have any idea how many times I should have been fired? But this church is so beautiful that some of the usual fights that churches have just aren't on the radar here. And that created so much room for me to do what I felt like I should do. So to you, Lakeview Church, I say thank you for trusting me. Thank you for inviting me into your lives, high points and low points. Thanks for letting me in. And most of all, thank you for letting me be your pastor this la these last eight years. So with that, I'm going to ask Allison to come forward. Hey, thanks, everyone. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is where you say some really nice things about me. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you do that right there. So I did the scheduling for the scripture passages <laughs> this summer, but anyone who knows me knows that I don't plan that far ahead. So I didn't know that you were preaching on this passage. I totally didn't. It's typical. It's typical. <laughs> but as you were reading the passage this morning. I was feeling those words of Elisha. Not on your life. <laughs> There's no way I'm letting you out of my sight. But I know we, um, I know that what's good for you and your family is good for us too. And so, yeah. So eight and a half years ago, when you candidated, I was sitting right here mm -hmm. and you were doing your sermon with my friend Shar. And, um, you used my favorite Richard Rohr quote. And I remember Char looking at me and I was like, yes, this is the guy. Um, we had been wandering in a wilderness for a while and you came along and gave the leadership we needed. And 
yeah, you are such a gift to us. Lakeview has never been a church that liked to follow the rules. We've always had that spirit. But you came with your courage and your creativity and you led us into new places. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we were a dynamite combo. And um, yeah, thank you for your courage, your creativity. Thank you for um, your bossiness, <laughs> your leadership, but also your soft, soft heart. You just are this remarkable combo of seeing where we should go, but also being kind and soft enough to let us catch up with you and come along with you. And, and there won't ever be another Joe. But you've given us a framework mm -hmm. so that we can move into the next season. And so, um, yeah, as we move, we're just going to keep joining God in the renewal of all things and trust that. Yeah. I just hope I'm going to be sitting there <laughs> in a year from now and be like, yes, yeah. this is the person for the next time. And I trust that God's faithfulness will do that for our community again. Agreed. Yeah. We love you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay, you need to come over here now because we're going to pray for both of you. So come stand with your hubby. <clears throat> so we're going to pray for Joe and Sarah. Ethan, I know you're out there. If you want to come out up, you can. You don't have to, but you're welcome to. He's not going to do it. There's He's no not going to do it. Okay. I asked him last night if he wanted to come up on stage. He said, nope, not even a little bit. So, yeah. We'll respect that. Uh, why don't you just like raise your hands and, and point them toward Joe and Sarah and let's pray blessing on them. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for Joe and for Sarah and for their family. Thank you for the gift they've been to us. Thank you for the friendships. Thank you for the growth Thank you for the fights. <laughs> Thank you for the unity. Thank you for the thoughtfulness. You've given us so many good things, and we're so thankful. And God, we just ask that by your spirit, you would cover them with your grace and your guidance, that you would show them what the next stage looks like, what the next step is. I pray that you would turn to them with your face of compassion that you would be the voice behind them saying, this is the way, walk in it. That you would be showing them the way forward. We pray that you would bless them in this next stage. We pray that you would bless them for all that they've given us in this last chapter. And God, would you cover them with your love? Would you give them all that we need, all that they need? We pray this all in your name. Amen. Can I pray for you one more time? At least from this spot. God, you're so good. So good. So good. And we give you glory and honor for everything because we know all good things, all of life is a gift from you. So thank you for the gift of my friends. Those who are, who are here today, those who cannot be here today, those who have been with us over this past eight years, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So I pray a blessing over them this morning. God, will you help this church take the long way? I have to slow down and stop and listen, agree to disagree, 
figure out a way forward and move on. And God, when we want to rush it and do it our own way and yell and scream and force it, God, will you force us to go the long way? Will you cause an interruption that puts us on your path, not ours? God, I also pray this blessing of mistakes. God, help us to make lots and lots and lots of mistakes, recognizing that means we've got skin in the game. And skin in the game is what you're asking us for, to invest what you've given us for your ends, for the health and the healing of this world. So when we get discouraged by our failures, God, remind us of penicillin, nylon, maybe even Elisha. Those mistakes can be used, even though no use at the time. God, you can redeem them. You can make something out of them. God, for the kids here of all ages, help us to know and remember you as friend. Always friend, always friend, never failing friend, best friend, loving friend, caring friend, always, 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 never not a friend. God, may that be the image and metaphor that we use to understand you just a little bit better. And God, as we all move forward, as individuals, as families, as a church community, may we continue to join you in the renewal of all things. Because that is the hope of the world. So give us glimmers of it now in this life. And God, we thank you for when it finally arrives in its fullness in the age to come. So thanks for including us now, and thanks for including us then. In your good and holy name we pray. Amen. Now, I've said this benediction a lot, so maybe you know it by now, so why don't we try it together, ready? Deep breath, love God, love others, and tell God's story, amen. <laughs>